So, uh, folks, we are continuing this morning our series called The Fence, and uh, that is why we have fences all around our stage. Um, somebody asked on Sunday, were the fences up here to keep the animals in or out? And, uh, and the, the truth is, it's neither. We just want to uh, give the illusion of, of the fence as we continue. And, um, you know, I, I don't know about you this morning, but uh, for me, I can, I can think back in my life, uh, in, in many circumstances, many situations, where I was presented with a choice to either go for it or to be left behind. Now, I'm not going to condone any of the uh, actions or activities in this next story that I'm about to tell you, um, so I'll just preface it with that. Some of you have heard this story. Um, when I was uh, about 16, um, I had a friend who became an enemy. You know how that works, right? When you're 16, those things switch about every 10 minutes, you know, so we're best friends and then we hated each other, you know, just like that quick. And I will say that uh, I wasn't uh, particularly living um, the best life during this time uh, as a 16-year-old. Um, and I decided, a buddy of mine had told me, he said, hey, let me, let me tell you something. I know how to make an explosive using a Sprite bottle. All right? I'm not going to give you the rest of the ingredients because then you might get a stupid idea like we did. He said, we ought to go over to, uh, I'm not going to say his real name, but um, we ought to go over to such and such's house and blow up his yard. And so at 16, I'm thinking... That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> we should totally do that. And so we get in my 1983 Plymouth Sephora. Don't go to the car lot and look for them. They're not there. All right. They made it one year. It was imported for Mitsubishi or imported for Plymouth from, by Mitsubishi from Japan. Plymouth Sephora. My friends affectionately looked at it, uh, called it the Italian sports car. Uh, because it was anything but. As a matter of fact, on the door, it began to rust so bad that these little rust bubbles would come up on the side of the door, and then they would just burst. And so I told people that I was a gangster, and that I just got shot up one day, and that was what all the holes were on the side of the car. So you got, you know, I wish I had a picture of this car. I mean, it was phenomenal. Um, it was like a bullet, you know. And, uh, and so, so we decided we were going to go and get the necessary supplies, and then we were going to go pick up my buddy Chris, who wanted in on the action. And we decided that we would go over to this guy's house and blow up his front yard. And um, the funny thing was, I've never been really muscular, um, but I have been thin. And I was really, really skinny. Like, I wasn't a guy that wanted to get into a fight, all right? Just, that just wasn't me, all right? Well, this friend, this ex-friend of mine was a linebacker on the football team, okay? And so I really didn't calculate this plan all that well, okay? And so we decided we were going to go over and we tossed this explosive, which, by the way, when I say explosive, it probably would have maybe torn up some grass about that big, okay? We weren't 
you know, we really weren't going to blow up the guy's house or anything. So we go over there and we throw it out and I start to pull off and a buddy of mine in the back seat, Chris, I'll never forget it. He says, hey, hey, whoa, stop because I want to hear it go boom. So I said, okay, we'll, we'll wait and hear it go boom. Well, the problem was before we had gotten out of the car to throw anything, we had been spotted from the living room of the house. So as we're stopping, waiting for it to go boom, he pulls out behind us in his Bronco. And like any well-intentioned, smart, wise 16-year-old, the chase was on. All right? This is the part of the story that I say, don't, don't try this at home, all right? We get going down a two-lane highway, all right, two-lane road, and he's chasing me in his Bronco, and I'm pushing that Plymouth Sephora as, as hard as I can, all right? I think I topped out at about 90, and, uh, and the Sephora's going, I can't do anymore. Don't push me any harder. Well... About this time, we are behind an 18-wheeler, and there's another 18-wheeler coming in the other lane. And that was one of those moments where I did the stupidest thing that I possibly could have ever done. I decided, you know what? We're going for it. I gunned that little Plymouth into the next lane, and literally, as those 18-wheelers crossed, I slid in between and got away on the chase. Now, I got home and waiting for me, or actually, that's not true. I, got, I hid out at a friend's house and called mom, and mom said, uh, Walt, um, have you tonight been over at uh, such and such's house at all for any reason? No, ma'am. Um, okay, well, here's what we're going to do, which was stupid, right? Because she wouldn't have asked me that question if she didn't know the answer. So I decided that I was going to lie. And she said, okay, well, why don't I tell you what? Why don't you get your little butt in your car and you drive on over to this house. And by the time you get here, why don't you have figured out what the truth is? So I pull up and, uh, and he is in my driveway. All right? With one of the linemen from the football team who was in the Bronco with him. I ended up proceeding to get really punished pretty badly and, uh, and ended up getting chewed out. Matter of fact, he was cussing me out in my driveway. And I looked at my mom and I was like, Mom, are you going to let him talk like this? And she's like, you have earned it. I'm like, okay, fine. Um, but here's the point. We have those moments in our lives where we have a very clearly defined choice. And of course, that's a over-the-top, crazy, silly example. And in all seriousness, I could even not be standing here today because of that stupid choice that I made. But the truth of the matter is we come to this point in life where we have this choice. And, and the truth is, in these moments where we have this choice, in a lot of ways, we think that not making a choice isn't a choice. When in fact, not making a choice 
is making a choice, right? We'd say, well, I'm just not going to make a choice. Well, that's in fact still putting you on one side of the fence. Now, we're going to take a look uh, briefly this morning at a guy who, um, who ended up with quite, man, he had, he had quite a task in front of him. This was a lot bigger than getting away from your friends who you just blew up their front yard. This was a big, this was a big task. Now, many of you are familiar with a guy named Moses, all right? And Moses was uh, probably one of the biggest uh, figures, biggest people in the, in the Old Testament. And Moses was, uh, was given the job by God to deliver the Israelite people out of slavery in Egypt. Now Moses, you know, there's this whole, this amazing interaction between Moses and God and God speaking to him at this point in a burning bush, all right, which sounds crazy, but that's what happened. God got his attention that way. And, and you see, Moses is, is, is almost letting God know about how unqualified he is. He's going, well, you don't understand. I, 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 I can't even talk very well. I, I stutter and I, I have speech problems. And God says, you know, I got this. And Moses says, you know, well, what am I going to say? I mean, I, they're not going to listen to me. And God says, I love this part. God says, who made man's mouth? Like, if I'm big enough to make your mouth, I'm big enough to help you come up with the words to say. And so eventually Moses surrenders to God's plan in his life and the Israelites are taken out of Egypt. They're, they're, wanting, to, uh, to, they're, they're wanting to be free. There's a, I mean, there's a lot that goes on, but essentially it ends up where their disobedience has caused them to be out in the wilderness for many years. And eventually they're on the cusp of being led into the land that God promised them after they left out of Egypt. Well, there's a transition that takes place because Moses uh, had a little slip up and because of that slip up, God told him, okay, you will, not, you will not enter the promised land. You will not enter the land that I've promised you. Instead, his successor would be the one that would lead them finally into the land that was promised. And the one that came after Moses was a guy named Joshua, all right? And Joshua, not nearly as famous as Moses. He was, uh, he was Robin to Moses' Batman, I guess. And Joshua ended up uh, taking charge of the people of Israel and leading them into the promised land. Now, it wasn't without its uh, hiccups as well. Many of you have heard of, of uh, the story of the walls of Jericho. That's a story that's pretty familiar, um, and they ended up having to walk around that, and, and really kind of, God just kind of kept testing them and saying, hey, you got to go walk around these walls, and then, and then finally at one point, God says, all right, you're going to walk around, and then you're going to shout, and when you shout, the walls are going to just fall, and you're going to have defeated them. Now, I don't know about you and me, but that's one of those moments where you go, really? That's what we got to do? But Joshua was faithful and obedient to what God asked him to do. And Joshua was, was a pretty cool guy. Now, after all of this has kind of taken place, Joshua gets in front of the people and he's kind of given them his final speech to them before 
Uh, well, and as a matter of fact, at the end of this chapter, it, it talks about his death. And so this is kind of his final rallying cry. And so we're going to take a look this morning uh, at Joshua 24. Joshua 24. So if you have your Bibles turned there, if not, um, it's going to be up on the screen for you. Joshua chapter 24. And we're going to look at verses 14 and 15. So Joshua starts out this chapter by basically, uh, in, in, in more elegant detail than I just did, basically going through what God has done for them. Moses and even all the way back to Abraham and just all their whole history of, of saying, hey, look, this is, this is this moment right now in this, in this present moment, in this present, uh, this present day, we are going to look back at how God has led us now to this moment. So we're going to take a look at, at, at a big key portion of something that he has to say. He's talking to the people. He says, now, fear the Lord, or fear God, worship him in total commitment. Get rid of the gods your ancestors worshiped on the far side of the river, the Euphrates, and in Egypt. You worship God. If you decide that it's a bad thing to worship God, then choose a God you'd rather serve and do it today. Choose one of the gods your ancestors worshipped from the country beyond the river or one of the gods of the Amorites on whose land you're now living. As for me and my family, we'll worship God. Now, Joshua essentially is saying, hey, look, we've been through a lot together. We've failed a lot. We've seen a lot of victory. We've seen a lot of amazing things together. Joshua, you see, Joshua, even though this is many years later, Joshua was a slave in Egypt. So he had seen the deliverance that God had brought to the people. And he's saying, look, we're at a crossroads here. We're at a place where we've got, we, we have literally got to draw a line in the sand. And he's saying, here's the interesting thing. What he's essentially saying to us is that you got to get on one side of the fence or the other. But let's stop sitting on the fence. Let's stop straddling the fence. You see, I can remember uh, not too long after the bombing incident, um, I was 17 years old. And I had grown up in church my whole life. I'd heard about Jesus from the time I was old enough to hear anything. And my parents raised me in church, grew up in church, knew Jesus and, and, and believed in him to be my savior from the time I was very, very little. But you see, for 17 years, I had lived for Walt. Now, I knew the, I knew the, the Jesus stuff. And I knew the right answers and I knew, you know, all the things that I needed to say. And I even prayed some and read my Bible some and all that. But I was, I was firmly planted on this fence. Because you see, when it came time for me to make choices about who I was going to be, I looked around at the people around me and I thought, I want to be who they want me to be. I want to be who they will accept. I want to be... I want to be somebody who can make a name for myself. So I was firmly planted 
on this fence with one leg on one side and one leg on the other. And when, when I became, when I, when I turned 17, uh, a drama group actually came to our school and they were a, a group of Christians and I got to know them and I remember, look, I can't remember anything they said to me, but I can remember looking at their lives and going, there's something different about these guys. They were probably, you know, five, 10 years older than me. And I remember thinking, there's something different. I don't know what it is. And I remember at that time in my life, I always had friends around me, always had people around me. I was never alone, had lots of friends, but I was always lonely. And what I saw in them compelled me, and it was like a light bulb went off for me. It was like a light bulb went off for me that where I was sitting on this fence, I had to get off. I had to choose which side I was going to stand firmly on. Because what I saw, what I realized at that moment was that, you see, I couldn't live my life in these different compartments, right? That you had the God compartment and you had the school compartment and you had the girlfriend compartment, which was always really complicated. And you had the friend compartment and you had the, you know, believe it or not, I was the guy who uh, started on the basketball team and was in the school plays. Like what a weird two different groups for me to be in. But I wanted to be a basketball star. So I had that box and then I wanted to be a performer. So I had that box. So I realized all of a sudden there isn't all these boxes. There's one compartment and it's this side of the fence and it's saying, it's Jesus saying to us, I don't want, I don't, I don't want your, your, your words. I don't want your, uh, your church attendance. I don't, I don't necessarily even want uh, you, just you to do things. I want you. I want all of you. I want every choice you have. I want your thoughts. And, and the reason that he wants that from us is because the way that we can live our lives completely to the full, completely in freedom and joy and acceptance of ourselves because we've allowed our acceptance to come from God, the way that we can do that is to jump off this fence onto this side and say, I am all in. I'm all in. Joshua's story here is not a story of, well, I just, you know, I was born into a Christian family and always knew God and had no problems and blah, blah, blah. The dude was born a slave. He had seen all these stiff-necked people out in the wilderness going, I don't know if God's even here anymore. Right? Right? But he saw Moses love the people. He saw Moses serve the people. He saw Moses lead the people. And so through this whole story, Joshua's come to a point where he's looking at these people that he loves. And he says, choose your side. Choose your side. Bottom line. And I'm not, you know, he doesn't just say, you better choose God. No, no, no. He says, get off the fence. Whichever side is your choice. I can't answer that for you, but get off off the fence. Either be all about yourself or be all for him, but the fence sitting has got to go. Now, I don't know exactly where this hits you today. I don't, I don't know if you think, man, I jumped off the fence a long time ago. 
And I'm, you know, I'm just, you're just giving me the yes, amen, right on. I agree with you. Or, or maybe you're on the fence. Or maybe you're on the other side of the fence and you're going, ah, I don't know. Now what I want to challenge you to do, regardless of where you stand on the fence, is I want you to think about Joshua's words. <clears throat> I want you to think about the fact that he says essentially to us, if you don't think that it's good to worship God, then that's your choice. But you see, the big idea, Joshua essentially is giving a picture of loyalty. And the big idea for us today is that when it comes to loyalty, there really is no fence to sit on, right? When it comes to saying, I'm, I am completely loyal and all in when it comes to my relationship with God. You see, really, there's not a fence. I mean, I know that you say, well, then why'd you build one? Well, the point is this. We think we're sitting on a fence, right? But like we said earlier, we think there's moments when not making a choice is literally just not making a choice. But not making a choice is making a choice to not move forward with our relationship with Christ. You see, if I say, really, Joshua's essentially laying out for us, hey, guess what? There really is an offense. Because if you're not all in, if you're not all in, then you're all out. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, that's, that's really what's being laid out here. Because he's saying, either you're loyal and you're committed and you put all your trust and all your faith and your whole life in the hands of God or essentially you're, you're on the other side because there really is an offense there. Now here's the amazing thing was that, you know, Joshua had these big moments where there was victory and, and you know, you think about Jericho and how, what a high that would have been, right? I mean, to, to shout and all of that to happen and you defeated your enemies but you see, Joshua was also doubted many times. Joshua was, uh, was one that, uh, that, that brought some information back and people didn't believe him. They said, you know, this is, this is a bunch of bull. You see, Joshua didn't know as he was following God, he, he didn't know exactly what the future was even going to hold. He didn't completely have... Uh, just an easy ride and knew un and understood everything about God. You see, sometimes, all the time really, a lot of us, we think we're sitting on the fence and we go, well, I'm just going to sit on the fence because I just don't know that I'm completely sure about who God really is or I don't really know enough or, or you know, I've got too much junk in my life or, or I've got too many questions and what I'd like to challenge you to do this morning is even though you got questions, which we all have, even though you got junk, which we all have, 
even though you don't feel like, you know, I don't really feel like I understand this God thing completely. I think sometimes he's just waiting for us to be all in. And he does, it seems like God is always faithful to do one of two things. Either he gives us the answer to our problem or our question, or he gives us peace. Because you see, peace is just as good as an answer, right? And so what I want to challenge you to do is, if you're sitting here on the other side and you're not jumping in because you're waiting to get something straightened out, the one who can straighten it out is on the other side of this fence waiting for you. And he's never asked us to be big enough to straighten ourselves out. If we were able to do that, we wouldn't need him. Now, uh, some of us this morning um, maybe are, uh, are wondering, you know, what, what does it mean? What, what, is it, what does it look like? How, how do I go about sort of jumping onto this other side of the fence? Well, the initial jump is just a jump of saying yes to God. Around here we use the terms sorry, thank you, and please. It's, it's real simple. If you've been around for a little while, you've heard us talk about it. If you want to make that initial jump to be fully in, then you just start by saying a, a simple prayer much like this. God, I'm sorry that I haven't lived up to your standard for my life. I'm sorry that I haven't lived my life for you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you that you paid a penalty that I couldn't pay. Thank you that you're big enough to fix the junk in my life when I haven't been. And then finally, please fill me with your presence and your power Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that, I, so that I can know how to live my life for you from this point forward. You see, Jesus himself, in some ways, he even wrestled with this whole idea because he was in the garden before they were about to arrest him and take him away to be crucified. And he was talking to God, his Father, and he said, if there's any other way there's any other way but I'm going to do it your way and it was moments after that that they drug him away beat him, murdered him and three days later he came back as we said last week he showed Thomas those scars and said I'm real and I'm alive and I've defeated sin and death. Why? Because we couldn't. And because he loved us so much, he was willing to do that. He was willing to say to his friends that night in that room before he would, would go to the garden and pray, as he broke the bread, he said, this represents my body that's broken for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my body away to pay the penalty for you. And as he poured out the wine, he said, this represents my blood which has been poured out 
for the forgiveness of your sins. You see, Jesus wasn't on the fence. He was all in. And this table here represents that. And so he's now saying to you, wherever you stand, whether you're here on the opposite side, whether you feel like you're on the fence and you've been kind of trying to straddle that thing, or whether you're on this side, he's saying to you, I was all in so that you now can be all in. What a gift. As our servers come this morning, um, we're going to have uh, we're going to have an opportunity to remember what it is that he's done. Th- that's why we do this. I guess we we say that regularly, but we do this to remember what he's done. When we take the bread, it re- we remember his body. When we dip it into the wine, we remember his blood. There's going to be folks positioned as well. Um, on either side that will be willing to pray with you. Here's what I want you to do though. If you're if you are if you're if you are gonna pray the sorry thank you please prayer and you want to start that relationship, you want to jump off the fence for that first jump into a relationship with God. How about seeing one of these folks in the corner? How about maybe jotting that down on your connect card? How about letting us know that you did that? We we just want to be excited with you about that first journey. And if there's other things that you need prayer for, or you need healing, or, or you have a burden and you just need to share it with somebody, these folks are ready and excited and willing to pray with you this morning. Come.